0: had the pleasure of actually meeting me face to face oh you lucky fellas oh not too many of you but uh, but I'll, anyways i'll just run through the uh the biography uh born in canada uh i'm, I'm over 30 so somewhere back there uh and uh, uh went to became a christian at 20 uh, uh, went to studied bachelor of theology at, at uh, tyndale bible college in toronto uh took a little break from the studies, went out to Canada, uh, to Western Canada, to Banff, Alberta. Who's heard of Banff? Oh, it's just marvelous, eh? Almost as beautiful as Teapuki. And, uh, and I lived there for five years and uh, I worked, I, I learned the theoretical theology in Bible college. I learned the practical theology uh, working on the ski hills and, and met the most beautiful girl in the world, came traveling through from New Zealand. She brought me back to Makatu, greatest place in the world Uh, and uh and then i started working i've been a youth pastor for about 25 years 20 years in or 18 years in tipuki and and i had the great privilege and an honor and it was tons of fun working here for uh almost seven years so that's me in a nutshell and as i said um i've just starting this new challenge and it's funny um, I've sort of been in ministry one way or another for 25 years, and you'd think that you'd, you'd get used to it, and it gets kind of ho-hum, and you just get up, and other days, another dollar, uh, but I, it's just such a challenge taking on this completely new ministry uh, of this Presbyterian church, and um, yes, yeah, so it's a lot of fun, and it's really challenging. I'm as nervous uh, every Sunday as I was 35 or 25 years ago when I, when I started working at Tupuki Baptist. I see Campbell down there, and uh, the famous story of Campbell was the youth pastor before me, and he invited me to help him. And the day that he uh, told me, after getting me all involved and and getting me committed, and 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 he told me that he was bailing on me, and he took the weight off his shoulders, and he put it on my shoulders, and and uh, it just about broke me. But I uh, uh, bless you, Campbell. Good to see it. Yeah, yeah. Good history. All right, here we go. And yeah, uh, thanks, Craig. And and the team for having me back. I was here last summer and it's really good to be back. So our topic today is the essentials. That's our title. And I want us to be thinking about what's essential in your life, uh, and what is going to be essential, uh, as you go forward, uh, towards into 2020. Um, Campbell, you'll appreciate this. It's good to see you here. This is the clipboard of doom. And, uh, those that have worked with me, I don't see too many of our youth faces here, just a few. Um, so this, this is, has been in my office for 25 years. And it reminds me of a few things. The clipboard of doom. Uh, and, um, and so it was about, must have been, Campbell, you can refresh my memory. Uh, it must have been 1993 or 4. You were long gone to the paradise of Carrie, and I was sweating it out in TeePookie. Thanks, Campbell. And, uh, and it was our first, the first year that we took a group of young people to Finlay Park. To the, um, to the Easter camp there. And it was a real big deal for me because you know we had about 20 kids, it was massive. And we had a little clapped out bus, it was massive. And we were packing stuff in there and all the parents were hanging around and I was real nervous because I was kind of like the youth pastor and um, and I was the janitor uh, and I was the, the choir and I was the worship leader and I was the administrator. And those of you who know me just should be filled with terror. Um, because my opinion of administration is the Bible hardly mentions it. You know, it's not in the Bible, hardly. And the only administrator I can think of is Judas. So, um, no, no, oh, that's terrible, isn't it? And administrators, I love you. You're an absolute necessary evil. Um, so I had my clipboard and I had all the money crammed in there, and, and all, the, uh, all the paperwork, all disorganized, and the names of all the kids who were coming, uh, and envelopes, and I think there was some cat food. There was a whole lot of stuff on my clipboard, uh, and, you know, and I set it down, and I was helping load people onto the bus, uh, and then we jumped on, and, uh, and we were halfway there, and some kid says, oh, hey, Elby, can I, can I just, I just need to change something in my registration, uh, and so, you know, I went looking for the clipboard, And I knew there was over $1,500 on that clipboard. It was under my seats, not there. Checked in my bag, it's not there. Overhead, not there. I asked around, it wasn't there. And I thought, I remember putting the clipboard down on the side of the road. And I couldn't remember picking it up. And so it was nowhere to be seen. We get to the camp. You know, back in the day, there's no cell phone. Can you imagine? not having a cell phone. How did we survive, right? With our cell phones, get to camp, find the old dial-up. <laughs> no, i got to go hold of a phone. Called Briar. She's in it's, it's Now it's late. It's, I think it was raining, so she races to, to, to Pukie. It's about a 15-minute drive. She's got some kids in tow, some of our younger children, and she finds the clipboard, and it's all over the road, and someone's kicked it. I think someone's driven over. You know, it's this clipboard has really lived and as I say I've, I've kept this clipboard because it reminds me of something <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and she gathers all the stuff together and slams it on the clipboard and I think someone came back and picked it up and brought it to camp uh, and then I went and I, I wouldn't dare tell my dear wife that there was about $1,500 supposed to be on the clipboard and I riffled through the envelopes and all the money was there. Whew. I had taken so much to that camp. You know, we took life jackets and rugby balls and sleeping bags and tents and all the essentials, especially chocolate. And we, we took everything we needed, but I had left the most important thing on the side of the road. And so this clipboard reminds me to keep in mind the essentials. And, and today I want us to be thinking about, um, you know, what are the essentials as we move forward? Uh, Are there some things that you are in danger of possibly leaving on the side of the road here in January? Some things that you need to take with you, that I need to take with me as we go from January to December 2020. What are the essentials? What are the things that you must not forget? Do you know what they are? What are you going to do? What am I going to do about retaining these things maximizing these things, making sure that we use them. So just to get started, um, because I'm a Presbyterian now, you wouldn't believe the pay grade. Um, I am going to shout, anyone who wants to go uh, for a year to this beautiful tropical island, all right? I'm uh, sorry, Craig, you're only a Baptist. But, um, and I'm going to shout you to the island, but you can only take three people because it's, it's not unlimited. My pay scale is not unlimited. So you can only take three people. So I want you to think right now and have a chat to someone beside you. Uh, Who are the three people that you would take? Who are your essential people? Go. Have a chat. You have to be honest. Make sure you're honest. All right? Did you identify your three people? And if you were honest, this could be kind of challenging if you're a wife And you didn't happen to mention your husband. Um, I know it could be dicey. Um, So who are your three people? So um, I really appreciate um, um, our graphics guy here. And his name has slipped my head. Someone shout, Ben, Ben Simes. I love him him so much I forget his name. But here's here's his three. So these are the three guys that he would have taken onto the island. Um, So if there's any counselors here, please have a chat to Ben. he needs it. Okay, now if you can only take two books, so you'll take your Bible because you're in church this morning. So if you could take your Bible, what other two books? Have a chat to somebody else. What are the two books that you can't do without for 365 days? Think about it. What are the essential books? Any shout-outs? Does anyone want to get involved? What's your favorite book? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's good, yeah, yeah. Fishing in New Zealand, but I've got that book. You can't have it, Um, all right? Okay, now you can only also, because of the limited budget, you can only take one meal. You'll have it 365 times uh, on this beautiful island. Only one meal. You're not allowed to say a buffet. That's cheating. What is the one meal that you would take on this island Go, have a chat to a third person that you don't know. What's your favorite meal? 365 times. All right. And here's mine. How many said pizza? Anybody else? No. I guess you're all vegans and stuff, right? This is, this is a, uh... so we're talking about essentials. Uh, and, and we need to, and it's something that's, I think it's important and it's helpful to be thinking about what's essential as you go through life. We tend to do a lot of things. We tend to get busy. Uh, we, you know, we tend to fill our houses up in our closets and, you know, you go on a trip and you've got to make a decision because there's a weight restriction. What are you going to take and what are you going to leave out? Um, the definition dictionary definition is containing the essence of something. It's indis, uh, indispensable of the greatest importance. So as we think about what are the things that are of the greatest importance as we head into um, a new year, and again, this isn't to me like a resolution. I've never liked resolutions because I always fail on January 2nd, but these are things that are bedrock principles, things that are, are, are built and woven into your life uh, that are essential. Not a resolution. It's part of your character, part of your makeup. And think of it even as a church. What would be the essentials? If I asked you, if you, if you went to a brainstorming meeting with the leaders of this church, and they said, what are the three things that Bethlehem Baptist Church cannot do without? What, what would you say? Have a think about it. Because I've got three that I want to just talk about um, this morning. So um, let's, as we go, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for your presence here, for the everything that's gone before. Um, Father, thank you that you're the center of the, of the worship and the planning and all the people who set out seats and made coffee, and uh, it's all for you, Lord. And thank you that you were here before us. You'll be here after we go home and have our lunches. Um, thank you, Father, that you're a living God. And thank you for your word as we open your word. Um, Lord, do what only you can do. Do what only your word can do, your... Your word is living and active. Father, it's, it's all scripture is God-breathed. It's living and act, active. It's sharp. And we pray, God, that your word, I pray for a miracle for every single one of us, uh, that you will do a miracle and grow us and prune what needs to be pruned and uh, and open our hearts to what we need to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. um, My... Graphics person, if you could flick through these while I read the scriptures, that'll be cool. Um, Can we do that? So, yeah, we'll start with this. Yeah, cool. Um, Against all hope, this is in Romans, uh, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. And as I read these three scriptures, just from Romans and one from first Corinthians, uh, just have a think, it's not that hard, but uh, just have a guess at what my three essentials that I'd like to talk about this morning are. So Abraham and Hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And further on in Romans, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up until the present moment, the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in 1 Corinthians, that famous passage, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And just we'll jump to the end of that. For now, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the imperfect disappears. And when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And now we see, but a poor reflection. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remains, remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What are the three things? Faith, hope, and love. That's what we want to talk about. We'll start with faith. Faith. Who could, if you were to be asked, if it was the, it was the end of year test, who could off the top of your head come up with a, a great definition of faith? What is faith? And I can remember this really troubled me when I first became a Christian because I knew that this, that this word, that this topic was absolutely imperative it was absolutely crucial. If I was going to become a Christian, I'm around 20 years old, and uh, and there's no way I'm going to be conned because I sort of felt that I was conned in the religious system that I was in before I met a real Bible-believing Christian, and I was skeptical, I was cynical, I was asking hard questions, and I knew that this was at the very core of it, this thing called faith. So I, I really struggled trying to understand it. The Greek word is pitheo. Uh It's in the New Testament 243 times, and, uh, and the definition is, is to be persuaded. Ultimately, uh, this word faith uh, can almost be synonymous with persuaded. But there's a little bit more to it. It's a, uh, it's being certain. It's being sure uh, to fully put your trust in a person, object, or a fact. And Hebrews 11, 1 is probably the best definition of faith. The faith is the assurance of things not seen, the certainty, the absolute certainty of things hoped for. And and, and I, I had a real problem with this. My, my early years, as it, it, it really it did last for a couple of years, uh, because. Uh, I was prepared to give my life to Jesus. I knew I was a sinner. And and um, and this friend of mine, this this was the first young adult that I had ever met in my life who actually took the Bible and God seriously. I couldn't believe it. He was a cool guy. He was a good athlete. He was my brother's best friend. And he actually took the Bible seriously. I'd never met anyone like them. Anybody else I knew who was religious was just kind of, they were just, Going along with their culture, they, they didn't take it seriously. This guy was ramming it down my throat. He was giving me these little tracks. I didn't know that they were called tracks back in those evangelical evangelistic tracks. Trying to explain what I had to do to become a Christian, and I was taking this really seriously. I was looking into it. I was reading and and um, and, 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 and I was and I was reading these tracks and and uh, and I knew that the, basically uh, the story goes, and many of you will know this, but if you're if you're new to church. Uh, then, you know, hope you're paying attention, that you know that there is a God and he's perfect, and we're imperfect. We're sinners, and so we're separated from God. But God loves us even in our sin, and so he, so he, he laid out the laws to teach us what's right and what's wrong, and, then, and which teaches us basically that we can't keep those laws. And then he comes into the world in Jesus Christ. That's God in the flesh in the world, and he lives a perfect life, and, 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 um, and he teaches us the way, and then he goes to the cross, and he dies on the cross. It's God in the flesh dying on the cross. And the idea, the, the, the thing that we're challenged to have faith about is that dying on the cross, he actually takes my sin and your sin, and he pays the price for it, and he rises from the dead. And, and then I'd get to the end of the track, and I would say, yep, okay, yeah, I think I believe this, and I, I definitely want to go to heaven, and I, I even want my cat to go to heaven. And so, and so I, I pray the prayer at the end of it, you know, Lord, you know, Jesus, come into my heart. And I'd feel great. I'd go to sleep. And, and, and this went on over and over and over again. I wake up the next day and I go, gee, did, did I really mean it? Because, you know, I'd wake up the next day and I'd get grumpy with my mom and I'd, I'd get into a scrap at school and, and, and nothing was really different. And, and then I'd start doubting and I'd, I, I, was, I was terrified. I was going crazy. I'd been a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Up until then, played a bit of hockey and a bit of football and went to the movies. And all of a sudden, I'm a religious nutbag. And, and I'm going, you know, did I believe? Did I, did I say the right words? Maybe I didn't mean it. Am I believing right? I was reading stuff about faith, reading books about it. I was reading through the Bible on it. And, and it, it was driving me nuts. And then I, I finally had an epiphany. And I realized what faith was not. So again, the essentials that we're going to take into December Faith has got to be one of them. And, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are folks who are here this morning and you've been in church for years and you still haven't grasped this because when I did, I realized it was, it was tricky and it was counterintuitive to the way we humans think. It's by grace that you're saved. This is what faith is not. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. And I realized at some point within those first few years, I had this epiphany that I've been trying to drum up faith. I was, I was trying to do faith. And we do that for everything else as humans. We try to become better athletes, or we try to become better students, and we put our effort into things. And that's what we're used to. When it comes to God, I realized I was trying to have faith. I was trying to do faith. And so my first illustration here in my travel bag as we travel into December 2020, this is my metaphor for faith. And and I look back when I had my epiphany and I realized if this is the faith that connects us to God, if this is the faith that allows us to see Jesus, if this is the faith that makes us one and makes us new creations, what I was doing was I was analyzing the binoculars. I was trying to figure out how they worked. I was looking through the wrong way. And I, and I realized that all I had to do was look through the binoculars. They're upside down, so you all look upside down to me now. I just had to look through the binoculars to see something outside of myself. And that's the initial thing. That's what faith does. You can't drum up faith. Faith isn't something that you can analyze within yourself. All faith is, is a tool that allows you to see something that's invisible. It's a tool that allows you to see God. Faith sees. Faith sees. And when that truth landed in my life, it changed everything. Because the verse that we read, Abraham came to a point where he trusted that God was able to do what he had promised. And I wonder if there's people here today who are still trying to drum up faith in your own effort and you're being blinded you're you're not looking past yourself to God and you're not trusting in his promises but you're still trusting in yourself do you get that does that make sense I remember one night I was I was doing the dishes and and this was a profound night in my life because it's the only time I've ever done the dishes and and I was standing at the kitchen sink and I could see, it was night, and I could see my reflection in the window, and I was, you know, doing the dishes and looking at myself. Who wouldn't? You know, I was just enjoying the view of this handsome man, and and then all of a sudden, I was shocked. I almost had a heart attack because I thought, is this the devil? Because another face appeared where my face was, and it was perfectly lined up, the eyes and the nose and the mouth, of course, was far less handsome than I was and and for a second it was like I almost had a heart attack and what it was 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 my buddy had come to visit me at night and he came walking up to the window and he ended up in the exact place And then later on in life, I realized that's a perfect metaphor for faith. And I think, you know, if you're living the Christian life, and if it's dry, and if you're not excited, and if you're just going through the motions, I wonder if you haven't stopped still looking at your reflection. If you haven't actually had a breakthrough and seen something outside of yourself. Because that's where I was at. So think about that. As you go, as you head towards December in a new year, Are you still, have you broken free? Are you you really looking to God? Are you really trusting his word? Faith sees what's unseeable. Faith hears. So if you're struggling with your faith, if, if your faith has been weak, you know, if you don't know whether you really believe or not, well, here's the answer. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So faith grows real faith faith that connects you to god faith that fills you with excitement with assurance with confidence faith grows as you read god's word there is no other way so as you head towards 2021 and your faith is weak what are you going to do about it faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of christ and here's the last thing i'll just say quickly about faith and i and and since leaving youth ministry. Uh, I've said this, I said this last summer when I was here, Uh, I, um, I, I feel I've done a disservice because, you know, we're always trying to encourage young people and, you know, God loves you and, and be encouraged and and be filled with joy and, and go out there and, you know, and it's all positive, 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 but, but I took two years off and um, I've been, I've had a bit more time to look at the world and something that has landed really Heavily on my heart is, and here's my mantra, my kids are sick of it, my wife is sick of it, even my cat and my dog are sick of it. Nothing good comes without a fight. And we Christians, we need to know that we're, we're not people of peace because this verse tells us that faith is a warrior's instrument. It's a shield. And that's a promise to you that as we head into 2021 and we want to take faith along, you will be in a fight. And you might be sitting here, you know, Lord, bless me. And, and Lord, we pray for your love and we pray for your healing. And you'll, you'll walk out into that driveway. And I've got to go early because I've got a tennis match to attend to. And I'll back out quickly with my Prado. And I'll put a great big scrape across your brand new Kia. And you're in a fight. Not with me, but with your sinful, angry nature. No, but, but, but you know this. We all know this, that we're in a fight. And the Christian walk is a fight. And imagine my son's in the army, and and man, he's trained for three or four years. He's a machine. He's almost as tall as me. He's six foot one, and and he's full of muscle, and he's learned how to shoot and how to fight. And imagine him going off to some, God forbid, to some conflict, and he's there with his buddies, and they're stacked up behind a wall, and all of a sudden a bullet goes by, and my son goes, (laughs) "Did, did you hear that? They're shooting at us. They wouldn't do that, right? These guys are prepared to fight. But how often do you and I wake up? and run into some disaster and we go oh my gosh where are you god my life's a mess and why did this happen and i've boiled the spuds and there's water all over this or something more critical than that and we're shocked and we're surprised when all of a sudden life's a fight we're in a war and faith is a shield okay um so moving on quickly hope that's the second one and i, I didn't understand hope for, uh, for a long time and we did a series on hope. I just want to tell you, say two things about hope and um, my metaphor for hope is a present. So faith sees beyond yourself and hope is kind of like a present and two things about hope. The, the Bible says for in this hope you're saved but hope that is uh, seen is not hope at all. Uh, who hopes for what he already has. But if you hope for it, um, what you do not have, you wait for it patiently. Uh, hope comes from the word elpis. It's 53 times in the New Testament. And basically, the core meaning for this word hope, and I didn't understand this. I thought, well, hope's kind of like faith. Why would God repeat himself? You know, it's, you hope for what you can't see. And it's like faith, right? But the difference, the, the, the distinction with hope, biblical hope that we need to carry into the next year with us, is it's to be in a state of anticipation. Hope, if we have true biblical hope, if hope is growing us, we are filled with anticipation like we are on Christmas morning when you're a little kid and there's a hundred presents under the tree and you're filled with anticipation. And, you know, it's not very spiritual, but I'm filled with anticipation. For tomorrow morning, I'm going to be at the Australian Open. I've wanted to go for 20 years. And, and, and I'm filled with this anticipation. And the other thing is that hope, biblical hope, rejoices. And this verse says that never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Biblical hope is joyful because we're anticipating, and what we're anticipating is God's goodness. God's name is going to be lifted up, and there's going to be healing, and churches are going to grow, and you might be going through a tough time, and you might feel hopeless, but God is fulfilling His promises and His purposes all around you. And so it's like Christmas every day when you're a little kid, and there's presents under the tree, and God has good things in store for you. And if you take biblical hope, into this year you will be a a christian that's filled with anticipation and you will be a christian that rejoices which is often lacking in my life i'll admit it and maybe in some of your lives and in some of our churches okay the last one is love and and uh, this has been a pet peeve of mine i think the word love is the most misunderstood word in our modern culture, culture, especially with young people, and let me just say a few words about it. Uh, you know, uh, who knows who these two guys are on the screen? All right, okay. So there's a few baby boomers here. I, I talk about these guys to young people, and they go, "Beatles." You know, has anyone seen the movie uh, yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I kind, you know, I don't know if it was a great movie. I love the concept. What if, what if the Beatles didn't exist? Uh, it, was, it was a kind of a cool concept, but you know, uh, John Lennon said, "All you need is love," and that's that. That's kind of the the, uh, the mantra, the motto of our world. All you need is if you've got love, that's all you need. And uh, and we use this word love. And here's my beef: we use this word love to cover such a wide array of human emotions and experiences. And it's kind of like turning up as a young apprentice in the workplace and you work for a real messy carpenter and engineer and you're the young guy and uh and he's just got one word for all his tools and he's in a panic and he's angry back in the day you used to get booted in the bum when you were an apprentice not today not today but back in the day you know when men were men and um and he screams at you, "Go grab me the thingamajig!" Now I've had this happen to me in my early days, the summer jobs. Grab the thingamajig, and you know, and, and, and you're in trouble. You're confused, and a disaster is lurking. The boot in the bum is coming because you 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 need distinction. You need definition. And we we use this word love to cover just such a wide. Variety of experiences. I remember I was eating a meat pie. Uh, we had a staff kind of a lunch, and there was 20 or 30 of us. Oh, I was starving. Uh, I only had three plates of spaghetti the night before, and I was kind of hungry. It was 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, and we and someone came in with a tray of Pat's pies, and I oh I grabbed yeah yeah the pepper pie that's my favorite. I grabbed it. Oh, I was starving, and I went into the kitchen, and I and I got the uh, the the um uh, the barbecue sauce. It was one you know those brown plastic squeezy bottles. Nod. Not if you're still with me. Uh, my church, and in, in, after five minutes in my Presbyterian church, doesn't matter what I say because everyone's asleep. So, it's great. And then afterwards, I said, "That was a great that was a great sermon, Pastor." I, yeah, thank you. All I did was read the phone book. Uh, so. So I grabbed one of those squeezy bottles, and I was going to pour the you know. The barbecue sauce I did, I just smothered it with barbecue sauce. I love barbecue, deep, deep, rich brown. And I I took my first bite, oh, this is beautiful. Munch, and all of a sudden I was filled with confusion. I was stunned. I was amazed. My my, my world, my tongue was going crazy. The taste collision was just cataphonic because it wasn't barbecue sauce, it was chocolate sauce. (laughs) True story, true story. It was horrible. It was a nightmare. But then I took another bite, and I thought, oh, that'll work. And I, I, finished, I finished my meat pie. But you see how important it is. You see how important it is that we actually understand the words that we're using. And when we just say, oh, I love my, I love my cat. You know, I love my wife. I love myself. You know, we use this word. It covers everything, and it leads to disaster. And so I just want to look quickly as we finish these three or four words there's the the greeks it's like you know they say the inuit the eskimo in canada there's hundreds of words for snow because snow is so important to their livelihood and uh uh and the greeks had had a lot more than just four words for love but but we'll just look at a couple of them the storgay, um and it's um it's in the Bible once and this is the kind of love that we have in family so it's mom to daughter and, and fathers to kids it's family love uh, it, you see it in Romans 12:10: be devoted to each other in brotherly love and it said be like a family so that's one kind of love and then this and this is I love this one this is phileo it's in the Bible 25 times again it's a distinct word for a different kind of love and in our English we just kind of use this one word all you need is love and this word here is the kind of love that you have uh, when you have two people, you know, two guys who are hunters, and they have the same goal, so it's not so much like, "Hey, Bob, here we are in the bush. I really love you." It's not that. That's not what you do when you've got filet or love. You're going, "What's your name again, uh, Bob?" Is it? There's the deer. You've got a target. You know, or like, like if you're a woman, you know, "Hey, let's go knitting together. Whatever." Um, Terrible, I know, I know. Only once a year, only once a year. This is the Kansas City Chiefs. I've loved this team for 50 years. They won the Super Bowl in 1969. I've been in pain for 50 years. They're in the Super Bowl in a cup in less than two weeks. Please pray for me. Uh, you will hear the scream uh, from Mekato if they lose. But it's a group of guys who have a target and they're working together. let O love. So it's different from family love. Um, this is the one that I think is ruining our culture. Eros. It's not even in the Bible, uh, but this is comes from the Greek. The goddess of love is Eros. Uh, it's from the we get our English word erotic. So basically, it's it's romance. Um, you know, it's sexual as well, but it encompasses everything to do male female romance. That that explosion of emotion and um, the other scientific stuff, endo firms or whatever goes on in your head, <laughs> adrenaline and stuff, you know, and I can still remember when I was in Bible college and, uh, and, and I hadn't read the Bible yet and all my buddies were pastors, kids and stuff. And, and, uh, and, and, I was reading the Song of Solomon. I discovered the Song of Solomon. So I was waking my buddies up at like 11 o'clock at night, going to their dorm doors and going, Hey, hey have you guys read? Did you, did you know this was in the Bible? you know, this is the, the song. Have anyone Has anyone read the Song of Solomon? If you're, okay, if you're under 18, please don't read it. Um, let dad read it to you. But it's really this saucy kind of romantic stuff. And I thought, hey, and there's a thousand people in my Bible college and, and you know, 500 of them roughly were girls and some of them were really pretty. And I thought, oh, boy, I could use this stuff. And, and, and so I, I started imagining it, you know, imagine going, um, hey, baby, you know, this is, Song of Solomon 4.1, hey, your eyes are beautiful. They're like two doves. I could just imagine she goes, oh, that was was so lovely. Carry on. So I moved down to Song of Solomon 4.4, hey, baby. Your neck is like the Tower of David; <laughs> you can hang a thousand shields off it. It's right here. Word for now, this would throw her off a little bit. She'd go, oh, "Okay, what, what?" And then that, I could tell that you know I could tell this wasn't working. So I'd panic and I'd go to the next verse. Hey, baby, your hair is like a flock of goats. You know, it's in the Bible; it's biblical. And I never had a girlfriend. Um, But that's romantic love. And we all, hopefully we've all experienced it. Descartes said this, verify the meaning of words and you will save mankind from half of their delusions. Figure out what words mean. Be distinctive. Know what you're saying and know what the word defines. You know, a spark plug um, is a beautiful thing to get an engine going. But if that's all you had, uh, you wouldn't go very far. A spark plug plug. Can't take a vehicle from here to there. Can only get things started. Romance is only to get things started, and we need to add far more to it to make a marriage work. People say, oh, I fell out of love. Really? You know, the way we use love is, I mean, essentially, these three loves, family love, storge, uh, it's, it's essentially selfish. And I remember as the years went by, I figured this out. You know, it's kind of like mom, like, and dad and the kids, and and we were Italians, and we had Polish, a Polish family next door. We were constantly at war, throwing potatoes over the fence, and we loved each other, but we hated those guys. So that's not, that's not our, something lacking in that love, isn't there? And then, and then, uh, the, the two guys, uh, buddying up to win something, to aim at the, you know, the phileo love. You know, you've got a target. Well, that's great for each other. Yeah, yeah, this is my buddy and we're going to do this. But then you're trying to smash somebody else, like the Kansas City Chiefs are going to smash the San Francisco 49ers next Sunday. That's not, that's not helpful. It's good for you, but it's bad for them. So it's selfish. And romantic love is ultimately deeply selfish. And in our society today, because we just use that one word, all you need is love. So you get, it's really not much different. Now, argue with me afterwards um, when we're having a cup of coffee. It's really not much different than than choosing a surfboard. Because you're walking along, you're in the surf shop, and you go, nah, 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 yes. I love that board. And you're choosing a board for yourself. And so when we choose the person we want to be romantic with, who do you choose? someone that appeals to you. It's it's essentially selfish. But there's agape love, and we're finishing with this. And this is the love that God has for us, and this is the love that we need to carry on, that we need to, uh, the essential love that we need to take. And and my metaphor for love, it's not chocolate, and it's not a Valentine's card. It's a tool, something that's functional. It performs and love is more of love is an action. Faith sees, hope expects, and love works. So it, it may include romantic love, but it's far more than that. Here's agape love is to, perf- to prefer someone or something above another. It's an exercise of will. Listen to these words: an exercise of will in deliberate choice without assignable cause. So there's no reason for me to love this person. It's a choice. And wait, there's more. It's aimed benevolently at the betterment of the other. And often, now listen to this, true love, it's often at great cost to oneself. And in marriages, hopefully we're learning this, that true love is far deeper and far greater than romantic love. Because we have to die to ourselves in a marriage, we have to die to ourselves in a church And we have to die to ourselves to change the world. So in closing, you know, it's like a three-legged stool. These things, they all need each other. You can't have faith without hope. You can't have hope without love. You can't have hope, love without faith. And as we go into, um, as we head into this new year, wouldn't it be cool? Faith. Faith that looks away from ourselves and sees God. A heart and a mind that's full of anticipation and joy. And your neighbors are going, you know, your family's going, the people at school, people at work are going, what's wrong with this guy? He's just, he's always kind of, he's happy, he's full of joy, he's expecting something. And and compassion and benevolence and love that actually makes a difference in people's lives. It's not just a feeling, it's a work. Wouldn't it be cool? If I come back, if Craig could have me back in December. And we all get together again and I and I ask you, how'd you go? You know, remember I talked about taking these essentials through from January to December? How'd you go? Did you remember? Did you do anything about it? How's your life different? What cool things has God, God done? Because you've you've been filled with faith, you've been filled with hope, you've been filled with love. Or did you just leave it on the side of the road like the clipboard of doom? Did you just leave it there? Did you leave the essentials on the side of the road and carry on your merry way? Father, we just pray that uh, you love us so much. You've got such high expectations and hopes for us. We ask you, Father God, uh, by your power to change us and help us to grow through this year to be filled with faith, love, and hope.